You're listening to Bionic Planet, the podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on the Earth. I'm your host, Steve Zwick, editor of Ecosystem Marketplace, and today we'll be taking you to Tanzania, where members of one of the world's oldest cultures are using carbon finance to save their forest and preserve their ancient traditions. Along the way, they've developed something they never had before, a legal claim on their territory. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth. We broke it. We own it. And nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields, and not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet? Or is nature itself the answer? That's the seminal question of our day, and it's a question the Hadza people of Tanzania began wrestling with long before the dawn of recorded time. Today, in part one of a two-part episode we're calling The 40,000-Year-Old Question, we learn how the Hadza survived for so long and how they're now facing their greatest challenge. You'll see how they're meeting that challenge and how their solution can help us all deal with life in a changing climate, life on a bionic planet. Tanzania's Yeda Valley. A rocky, craggy prairie that the Hadza people now call home. They're known as the last of the first, the 1,600 remaining members of a culture that survived unchanged for at least 40,000 years. They've survived so long, they say, because they live with nature as hunter-gatherers. Their language is uniquely their own, unrelated to that of neighboring tribes, as are their genes. They are as untouched as any African people. Missionaries tried dragging them to the Lord, but failed. The Tanzanian government tried settling them on farms, but that failed too. And with good reason, according to Mark Baker, who runs an environmental NGO called Carbon Tanzania. One of the things that is quite telling about Hadza society is that there is no linguistic or indigenous knowledge related to um, periods and time of struggle and starvation. These things exist within all of the other um, tribal groups in this region. There are, in, in cultural law, there are periods of times of great stress in history. Remember, Hadza don't have that. Because when you're living off the natural resource base and you can move and you can respond to um, changing environmental conditions, to drought, etc., you can always survive. That strategy, however, hasn't always paid off when they've encountered more territorial, warlike neighbors. 
They are non-confrontational, egalitarian society. Although that, that is changing a little bit, um, just in response to the fact that they've got very few places to go. Traditionally, they would have moved away from confrontation. The Hadza moved away from confrontation 3,000 years ago when the Bantu spread across the region. They moved away from confrontation again about 300 years ago for the Maasai. By the 1990s, they were concentrated here, in the Yeda Valley, around a wooded area called the Kidero Hills, where they still hunt mostly small antelope and gather tubers and medicinal plants. By then, there was no place left to move, and in 1999, the government passed a law that was supposed to give them authority over their land. The Village Land Act in Tanzania um, is a fantastic piece of policy that assigns, if you will, the the ownership of of land to the local village if they do certain things and make an application to the National Ministry of Lands, um, such as forming a a village council, such as having a land use plan, such as writing bylaws and having a village constitution. This is Matt Brown. He runs the Nature Conservancy's operations in Africa. And then the National Ministry of Lands then basically issues a certificate of occupancy. It's a certificate of village ownership to that to that village. And then they have legal authority to implement the zones within their land use plan. So if someone's farming, say, in a grazing area, you know, the, the village leadership can say, hey, that's according to the plan that everyone signed off on through this process, you know, you're not allowed to be there. And so then they can they can get that that family to move. But there's always a but, and we'll get to that shortly. First, let's count the Hadza blessings. Thanks to this 1999 Village Land Act, they officially had two villages, Mangawamono and Domanga. They then did everything they were supposed to do. They created a land use plan and developed bylaws that protected the forest based on their traditional values and in accordance with federal law. Richard Ballow is a tribal leader who led the process. Communities and local governments have collectively developed bylaws that ensure prevention of environmental degradation. And here's the but. The act was great for farmers, because it's easy to see who owns a farm, but it's not so great for shepherds and hunter-gatherers who work their land communally. Land can be allocated for settlement. Land can be allocated for farming. Land can be allocated for forests. Land can be allocated for grazing. Edward Lataika is an attorney with the Ujamaa Community Resources Team, a Tanzanian NGO that helps rural communities secure rights to their land. But there's absolutely no provision whatsoever that uh, makes reference to hunting and gathering. On top of this, farms far away were expanding to meet the needs of a growing population, and they were slashing and burning forests to do so. A lot of the agricultural um, ethnic groups um, have moved into areas where historically they were not. 
and this cascading effect is that then the agricultural groups, the Sakuma, for example, put pressure on pastoral groups um, like the Datoga, who are a, a livestock pastoral people um, in this part of Tanzania where the Hadza are, uh, called the Yaida Valley. And so then as the agriculturalist puts, puts pressure on the livestock keepers, the livestock keepers then move into areas that historically um, they were not using for grazing or watering their livestock, areas where the Hadza uh, were the only ethnic group. So, you've got this 40,000-year-old peaceful culture who've always managed to live in harmony with the land, but they're getting squeezed into a tinier and tinier piece of the planet. Meanwhile, the activities that are squeezing them are killing forests, sending millions of tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. That's where the two environmentalists, Matt Brown of The Nature Conservancy, or TNC, and Mark Baker of Carbon Tanzania, come in. The Nature Conservancy was working with Carbon Tanzania to try and quantify the degree of forest degradation um, using satellite imagery and on-the-ground uh, site-based truthing of that, of that imagery. That sounds simple, but it's not. They were essentially using satellite images to see what kinds of trees were on the ground and then using that to estimate the amount of carbon stored in those trees. And they were sending teams of researchers with tape measures out to double-check their findings. So then we could then quantify what percentage of forest was being degraded on an annual basis within our area um, where the Hadza are and also what we call reference areas, other areas. Basically, they were trying to put numbers on the impact that agriculture was having on Tanzania's forests. And they were hoping to use those numbers to save the forests. Because if they could A, measure the amount of carbon dioxide being released, and then B, find a way to take the pressure off the forest, they might be able to cover their costs by generating carbon offsets, meaning they might be able to find businesses that are emitting greenhouse gases and are willing to, say, help the Hadza patrol their forest or work together with nearby farmers to develop more sustainable agriculture as a way for those businesses to reduce their overall impact on the planet. It's all part of a cluster of activities called RED, just like the color but with two Ds, which stands for Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Degradation. And so that, that work had been going on for almost a year and a half or two years, and Mark and Joe were looking at that. So we were trying to figure out with Carbon Tanzania if this was a viable project, um, just from an economics perspective. And, and the answer was, yeah, it, it could be viable um, because the degree of degradation is pretty steep. And because the carbon that's in those areas is, if, it's, if it remains intact, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a large amount of carbon. Richard Ballow, meanwhile, had heard about RED as well from some members of the Dutch government. I was trying to find out how we can get involved in carbon markets. By good luck, I was approached by two friends, Mark Becker and Joe Anderson, who came and asked me if I wanted to participate. I said that was good, and I was really happy. There's a new food for the world, and it's called red. (laughs) 
To do a red project, you have to follow very specific procedures laid down by a recognized carbon standard. You have to identify the drivers of deforestation. Then you have to come up with a plan for reducing those drivers. And you have to figure out how much of the deforestation you stop is just going to migrate down the road, which in the carbon world is called leakage. You have to put all of this into a project design document, or PDD, which then goes through a rigorous process of peer review. And that's just to get started. It's tedious and it's expensive. And Becker had started working on this way back in 2007 when he decided to develop a project under a standard called Plan Vivo. We started to reach out to tourism companies that work in northern Tanzania. We knew many of the people working in these companies. So we went to them with the concept and said, hey, look, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to achieve. And this is what, how, how it works. And they were able to see the benefit of doing that and the benefit of buying into the, the process for their own corporate social responsibility needs. And so they agreed that they would buy these Plan Vivo certificates ex-ante before the PDD was actually completed and we received certification from Plan Vivo. So they had the money, they had the plan, and they had the partnerships. But to ensure that these performance-based payments that come through the RED project actually um, are going to be able to encourage the um, behavior change that we were looking for. There needed to be stronger land ownership than what was there under just doing a village land use plan. So here's the story so far. The Hadza were losing their land because the law left hunter-gatherers like them in a sort of legal limbo. As they lost land, the world lost forest. And that meant we all lost an amazing bulwark against climate change because forests mop up carbon by the gigaton. And that led to the creation of red, which could help the world help the Hadza maintain their forest, but red was out of reach too because of that same legal limbo. And here's the kicker. It's not just the Hadza. Traditional societies around the world, from North America to Latin America to Indonesia to Africa, have always been effective guardians of the forest, and they've always tended to have the most nebulous land use rights. In this case, there's a happy ending. And in part two, you'll hear it, and you'll learn what that means for Tanzania's 50 or so other traditional societies. You'll also learn a lot more about how red finance works and how mankind can better navigate the climate mess by accepting that we now live on a managed planet and learning to work with nature as an equal partner. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to us and give us a good review. That's the most important thing right now because the better reviews we get, the more ears we get. And the more ears we get, the more understanding we can spread. If enough people listen, we might even get some funding because right now, Bionic Planet has none. It's a labor of love, written by me, produced by me, and distributed by me, albeit drawing on content that we've created at Ecosystem Marketplace. I'd like to scale this up, and you can help by giving us good, honest reviews. If you want to offer feedback, or even better, advertise on Bionic Planet, reach out to me directly at steve at bionic-planet.com. If you subscribe to us, whether on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn, 
you'll get part two of this story automatically. But you can also peek at the ending online, because I adapted this from a piece that Ali Goldstein wrote for Ecosystem Marketplace about a year ago. You can view the original at www.ecosystemmarketplace.com forward slash articles forward slash Hadza, and that's spelled H-A-D-Z-A. And Ecosystem Marketplace, by the way, it's two M's in the middle, confuses a lot of people. Ecosystem Marketplace, all one word, two M's in the middle. The address again, www.ecosystemmarketplace.com forward slash articles forward slash Hadza. For more on Red Finance, go to www.ecosystemmarketplace.com forward slash articles forward slash red with two d's hyphen dawn and for links to everything i've referenced here tonight go to bionicplanet.com that's also with a hyphen in the middle bionic-planet.com and look for hadza red part one before i sign off tonight i'd like to leave you with a segment that we call we'll always have paris we'll always have paris as in the Paris Agreement, which was adopted in December and will come into force as soon as 55 countries responsible for 55% of the world's greenhouse gases join it. That process is underway now, and we're already at about 49% of emissions. But it's slow, because joining the agreement requires home state approval. Still, that process is moving forward, and RED is a key part of it. It stands again for reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation, and it's a whole body of activities that use carbon finance to save endangered forest, but it takes up just two paragraphs in the Paris Agreement. Those paragraphs comprise Article 5. It's in the actual agreement, so it basically says all the the work from the last 10 years, that's, that's that's what creates the red package. And that's going to be a key part of the Paris Agreement. And that's, you know, the, the real political signal that it sent. That's Gus Silva-Chavez, who tracks money flowing to Red Plus activities for forest trends. And the Red package he's talking about involves several other UN decisions. In later episodes of Bionic Planet, we'll be unpacking those decisions for you so that you understand the science, the finance, and the politics behind Red. But first, a brief history lesson. In the United Nations, red isn't just called red, it's called red plus. And here's why. Originally, red started out as just R-E-D. And the reason for that is the, the, the folks who were part of the beginning stages of red, uh, who were primarily in the NGO world, um, focused on the Brazilian Amazon. And there, if you look at the emissions profile, the deforestation profile of the late 1990s, early 2000s, at the time, it was focused on complete land clearing. Now, over time, we realized that although that is very prevalent in the Brazilian Amazon, there's also what's called degradation. So you don't completely cut down all the trees, you cut out a portion of those trees. And sometimes you have degradation that stays at that level, and usually you have degradation that eventually leads to full deforestation. So that was the second D in red. So then it became known as R-E-D-D. And after a few more years of negotiations, there were countries uh, led by India and China who basically said, okay, 
we see that there are incentives for degradation and deforestation, but what about us who want to get credit for increasing our forest cover? So the, the press activities um, are basically what was known as afforestation or reforestation um, previously under the KP. And then there was also the other issue from some uh, Central African countries and, uh, and also, you know, Guyana, who basically said, you know, we're not really deforesting that much. We don't really have that much degradation. We're really not planting much, but we're, what we're trying to do is maintain what we have. And then that was another category under the plus. Basically forest, just, just keep your forests standing. So that was kind of the evolution of red from just the 1D to 2Ds plus the plus activities. And here's one more wrinkle for you. The red that he's talking about is not the red that the Hadza people are using because their red is not part of the United Nations. Instead, it's part of the voluntary carbon market. And if you want to learn more about that, go to www.ecosystemmarketplace.com forward slash articles forward slash red with two d's hyphen dawn if you want to learn about red as it exists in the paris agreement go to www.ecosystemmarketplace.com forward slash articles forward slash red hyphen paris and if you want to learn about both go to bionic hyphen planet.com and again look for hadza red part one that's all for today check back for part two later this week I'm your host, Steve Zwick, and this is Bionic Planet. Thanks for listening.